guys know this one? Hopefully you've seen It's a Wonderful Life. Hark the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn King Peace on earth and mercy mild God and sinners reconciled Joyful all ye nations rise Join the triumph of the skies With angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem Hark the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn King Christ by highest heaven adored Christ the everlasting Lord Long desires behold Him come Offspring of the virgin's womb Veiled in flesh the Godhead see Hail the incarnate deity Please as men with men to dwell Jesus our Emmanuel Hark the herald angels sing Glory to chapter 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through the world was made through him. Though the world, sorry. 
That didn't make sense, did it? He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all, amen, hopefully that's us, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not out of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Amen. You can be seated. We're going to have a special song that's been prepared by Kevin. You guys can be seated as well. So please enjoy this beautiful music.
me just offer a word of prayer. God, once again, we simply pause on this beautiful yet sometimes hectic and overwhelming day. And God, we just pause again. And as we open up your word, God, I pray that you would just help it to come alive. Help this familiar passage come alive in a new and fresh and powerful way this morning. God, would you help us to open up our hearts to hear from your word. And God, may the hope and the peace that this word offers us, may that truly be present in our hearts this morning. God, we just pray that you would be with those who are not able to be with us today. God, we remember those and we lift those up to you this morning who are dealing with uh, sickness. God, we remember those who are still at home healing from surgeries. God, we pray for those who are traveling on this day. God, we pray and think of those who may not be here with us, but may be watching online. God, I just pray that you would make your presence known to them in a real and fresh way this morning on this Christmas day. And God, would you just fill us each with your love once again. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you, if you're able, to stand for the reading of the word this morning. A familiar passage, no doubt, from Luke chapter 2, reading verses 1 through 20. Hang in there. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. 
when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God on this Christmas day. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I want you to imagine for a moment the scene of the nativity. This is not an unfamiliar scene for us, right? Even if there's not a a living or a a nativity set up in front of you this morning, as soon as you hear the word nativity, it's easy to imagine and to picture the nativity scene. It's an all-familiar scene for us, isn't it? Each year, we've either read it, we've sung it, or we've watched little children as they have dramatized it. Some years, we do all three, right? And we've become quite familiar with the nativity scene as we cheerfully accept its familiar presence in the Christmas story. The story of Jesus' birth is told by two of the four gospel writers, Matthew and Luke. One of the many details that separate Matthew and Luke's accounts from one another is the fact that Matthew's account is distinctly local Matthew focuses more on Herod and Palestine, whereas Luke's political lens is more global, as he is emphasizing the birth in the entire Roman world. For our regular church attenders, we've spent the past several months in the Gospel of Luke, walking slowly, and we could have walked much slower, by the way, through the Gospel of Luke. And so today, I hope you might notice and appreciate the themes that we see as we circle back around to the beginning of Luke as we read about the story of Christ's birth. Hopefully you'll notice some familiar themes. Themes that are present, such as Mary and Elizabeth's voices being heard over Zachariah and Joseph's. A priest is silenced, is quiet. He must contemplate to himself what the Lord has done, that which he questioned and doubted. Joseph is, is, t- receives this word with peace and with acceptance, with submission, as he opens himself up to what God wants to do. And God's voice is heard and seen through Mary and Elizabeth. We see these themes of, of shepherds, or what we see what's represented in the shepherds who are lowly, right? The lowly are told in Luke's gospel, whereas Matthew notices the magi as they present these costly gifts to the Christ child. In Luke, we see Mary's song, which identifies how God is working on behalf of the forgotten, the lowly, the marginalized, All of these themes and more are very Lucan, if you will. And it's Luke who emphasizes Jesus' humble beginnings and actions on behalf of the poor and oppressed on Christmas Day. It's in Luke's narrative that we read about the census that is taking place. 
What you need to know about the census as you hear the story is that for those who were being recorded or counted, the census would invoke images of oppressive political power where military strength was being assessed and people were being recorded for taxation purposes. It was gonna cost them something. For many of them, it would cost them quite a bit. In the Luke passage, Luke mentions Augustus. Many of you, maybe not all, but many are likely familiar with what is known as the Pax Romana, something that is attributed to Augustus, who is said to have brought great peace for some time. In fact, I want to share something with you this morning that was read during the time of Augustus to celebrate Augustus and his leadership, and I want you to see if you notice some similarities or some themes. This is what was said about Augustus during this time. Since providence, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he... Caesar, by his appearance, surpassing all previous benefactors and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. And since the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good news for the world that came by reason of him. I promise I copy and pasted that. The language is a little clunky, you may notice. Right? The language might be a little clunky, but you probably notice some similarities between what was read and declared about Augustus and what was declared about Christ. Sending him as a savior, both for us and our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. Since the birthday of the God Augustus was the beginning and the good news for the world that came by reason of him. You have that compared to, I bring good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Did you see the themes, the similarities? You see similar messaging, same language, but what you need to notice is that these were very different realities. You see, I think Luke would want us to know as we read this story year after year after year, as we watch the story played out, as we sing the story of the nativity, I think Luke would want us to know that while Augustus was praised for, bringing a, for being a bringer of peace, if you will, it's debatable that peace is actually what was experienced by many or most the reality is that the wealth distribution in the empire was unfair. I know you're shocked. <laughs> it's a shocking turn of events that the wealth distributed in the empire was unfair. As you may know, something about 3% controlled about 90% of the empire's wealth. And most people living in the influence of the empire hovered around or below survival level. Not to mention... The Pax Romana, as we referred to a moment ago, was the result of violent coercion rather than a radical inclusion. 
Augustus's rule benefited a few at the expense of many. And that, my friends, is not what true peace is. Augustus was not a savior to all. He was a political hero for a very particular group of people. And that's the difference between the kings and the kingdom of God or the kingdom of God and the kings of this world. One will always fight for power or control of some while excluding many, while the latter frustrate or the former frustrates many as it fights for the radical inclusion of the marginalized, the oppressed, the lowly, the meek, and the forgotten. See around here, not all of you are regular attenders here, but you should know that around here we use a very particular kind of language when we talk about the kingdom of God. We refer to the kingdom of God oftentimes as backwards or upside down, which kind of entertains people. When I say upside down, they say, I just picture you being upside down. Now now you all see that. But what we're really trying to say is that the kingdom of God is counter-cultural. It flips upside down what we believe about power and who receives the gifts of God. This is seen all throughout the life of Christ, all throughout his ministry. We see this backwards way of living, this radical inclusion that had never been been seen before. And we notice this. Listen, on this Christmas day, as you picture the nativity, you notice this from the very moment Jesus came into the world. The reality is The kingdom of God has always been counter-cultural, and that is certainly seen in the story of Christ's birth, seen in the nativity. Luke, as he often does, he highlights this in the story as he tells of the shepherds. I suspect that most of you know by now that the shepherds were considered to be lowly, they were dirty, they were insignificant to society. It's no surprise then that Luke would tell their story, right? For those of you who are familiar with Luke and and the stories that Luke tells, it's no surprise to us that Luke would tell the stories of the shepherds who were outcasts in their communities. They were typically excluded from the religious activities of their communities. And yet, we consider the irony, right? In Luke telling their story, What you might need to understand, what you might want to know is that as the shepherds were excluded from religious activities of their communities, it was believed by some scholars that the flock which the shepherd cared for, the flocks that the shepherds would care for were actually being raised to be used as sacrificial lambs in the temple. Do you see the irony? See what Luke did there? It only makes sense that they would be among the first to hear the good news of the birth of the Savior who has come for all. The Savior of the world, who will one day lay down his life for all, has already made himself known to the lowliest of people. And as Luke says, the shepherds will find him nowhere else but in a makeshift manger. We cannot help but recognize this morning the importance of the manger in the Christmas story. 
Luke repeats this word three times. And, and what you likely understand, because I like to point these things out, is that when a gospel writer or when an author says something three times in one passage, that means pay attention. I'm repeating this on purpose. It's important for you to know. And Luke mentions the manger three times in this passage because he is highlighting the significance that is to be discovered when you come to the manger and see this child. Scholar N.T. Wright would say that the manger serves as a signpost. In other words, it's not that the manger is important all by itself, certainly, but it's a signpost. It's pointing the finger, if you will, to the identity and the task of the baby boy who's lying in it. The birth of this little boy is the beginning of a confrontation between the kingdom of God and all its apparent weaknesses, insignificances, and vulnerability, and the kingdoms of this world. For us, here this morning on Christmas Day, the manger serves as an invitation. The invitation for us, when you see this manger, as you will throughout the rest of maybe this day and in years to come, maybe the next time you sing or hear away in a manger, the invitation or the challenge, if you will, is to not stop at the manger. Rather, see what it's pointing to. It's pointing to the explosive truth that the baby lying there is already being spoken of as the true king of the world. And this king, unlike praised leaders such as Augustus, will, bring, will be a true bringer of peace. He will bring not just the appearance of peace and not just for the select few, but he, will bring a, he is bringing a whole and complete shalom and it's extended to all. Lying in this manger, which serves as a signpost, will be the giver of joy, the giver of sustaining hope. He serves as the ultimate example of love. And the rest of Luke's story, which interestingly we have just finished as a church community, tells about how he comes into his kingdom. And this manger serves as a reminder of this much needed, this much needed reminder of this truth again today. So as we go about the rest of our day, celebrating the birth of our Savior, we are reminded of what this truth means for us, you and I, participants in this kingdom, that the kingdom of God is one of peace. It's others-focused. It's for those who are broken, recognizing their need of a Savior and his saving peace in their lives. The invitation today is to receive this peace, which only this Savior brings, and to carry it into the world, extending it to the lowly and downtrodden, trusting in God and his kingdom rather than the kings or the kingdoms of this world. Finally, as we close, I love how scholar Craig Keener notes the inverted parallelism of this choir that we read about in verse 13 in Luke's gospel, of that with the earthly choirs that would typically gather to praise Augustus, right? They praise Augustus for his inaugurating a worldwide peace. 
While they sing their songs of praise, praising a false sense of peace, a peace that only gives the powerful more power, the prideful more pride, and the richest more riches, while they're doing that, the God of the universe over here, the God incarnate, he has come in the humblest of ways to show what real peace, what real love, what real shalom looks like as he brings about his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm going to invite the praise team to come, to come back up. And this morning, we're invited to all lift our voices together. We're invited to all lift our voices together in praise, singing glory to God in the highest as we today worship the true king who through the incarnation has brought about true everlasting peace and he continues to do so. And as we sing praises to God in the highest, we look forward to experiencing true shalom in his coming again. So church, come, worship him. Let us adore him and celebrate his presence on this Christmas morning. Amen. Please stand if you're able, if you'd like. We're going to sing this together. I think you guys know it. Let's celebrate this morning these truths. Amen.
heart to the Lord this morning. I just want to make sure that everyone who would like to participate in the sacrament of communion has received communion elements. If not, would you slip up your hand? Slip it up. Don't let me miss you. In case you're wondering, uh, it's important for you to know that you do not have to be a member here to receive communion. You don't have to be a member here. We believe that if you recognize your need of grace, of God's grace in your life in any way, shape, or form, then you are invited to come and to receive. So just making sure. Anybody need communion elements? All right. God, I just pray that as we enter into this time of thanksgiving and praise, as we come before you empty, and open-handed, God, I pray that in, in the mysterious way only in which you can do, I pray that you would just fill us with your glory and your presence once again so that we can empty of ourselves to the weary world around us on this day and each day. God, we give thanks for these gifts these tangible gifts which we can hold in our hands, reminders of your presence. We thank you. Amen. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took some bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which has been broken for you. And every time you eat of it, even now, do so in remembrance of me. Take and eat and be thankful. After dinner, he took the cup and he gave it to the disciples. And he said to them, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which has been poured out for you. And every time you drink of it, even now, do so in remembrance of me. Take, drink, and be thankful. God, we thank you for these gifts and for this gift of gathering together today. God, I pray that as we leave this place that you would go before us, God, 
that as we celebrate with family and with exchanging of gifts, God, as we gather around the tables this afternoon and this evening, may you be present and known and glorified. God, we love you. We praise your name today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you will stand with me this morning, before you leave, I have a special Christmas Day benediction for you all. Brothers and sisters in Christ, rejoice. The Lord has come and he's coming again. Know fully this morning that you are the beloved of God and embrace fully the gift of Jesus today on Christmas. Then I charge you to go into the world, which is longing for hope, peace, joy, and love, and shine your light among them, that they may know that they are the beloved of God as well, and that the kingdom of God may come on earth as it is in heaven. Go in peace and celebrations. You are loved. You are dismissed. Merry Christmas.